This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion, the podcast from Blood Red with me, Neil Fitz. Thank you once again for tuning in and listening. I hope your lockdown's going okay, lockdown too, and I hope that uh, you're keeping safe and wearing a mask. Said that one with a little bit more venom and intent. Um, we've got two heavyweights with us again. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Connor Dunn and Dan Kay are here to help us uh, pick through the bones of Liverpool's latest charade or Liverpool's latest escapades. Uh, good morning to you, lads. Hi, Connor, and hi, Dan. <clears throat> hi, mate. How are you doing? Hi, you okay, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Let's just start, to be fair, by saying that, really speaking, we do have to talk about Liverpool. We do have to talk about the pros and cons of this Liverpool team at the moment. Uh, when really speaking, it all matters not a jot when we um, realise what Jürgen Klopp's been going through for the last few weeks. Um, of course, the death of his mother. And also, inexplicably, the concept that he wasn't allowed to, to attend a funeral um, must be weighing hugely on a, on a man that is a legend already at Liverpool and someone that we all absolutely love for his, um, not only his achievements as Liverpool manager, but his demeanour, his his character is everything that we all feel that we are as Liverpool fans. So it, um, it's a heavy heart we do this, guys, isn't it, Connor? Yeah, absolutely. I think the news of Klopp's mum's death this week, and obviously you say him not being able to attend the funeral, it's madness, but it just puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? Um, just how much Klopp gives for the club. And yeah, just heart goes out to him, really. It must just be an impossible time for him, especially when he's got to contend with everything else in the world of football as well. But yeah, um, obviously things take a bigger precedent than that. And yeah, all best wishes to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Dan, Connor's just, Connor's just touched on it there briefly, but with the pressures that he's already facing, with the with the pressure of being, you know, the manager of of, of, of the British champions and uh, or the English champions, I should say, um, and the pressures that come of being a Liverpool boss alone, uh, it must be a pretty harrowing time for him at the moment, Dan. Very much so. I mean, how, how he's kept going through, you know, this enormously difficult period for him is, you know, is a measure of the man. I think anybody that's been through uh, this kind of experience would be able to relate to him. And I, I find it particularly poignant because it's actually 25 years this weekend that I lost my mum, which was actually the very same day as Bob Paisley, which I always kind of got a little bit of comfort out, to be honest. But, um, you know, even in the best of circumstances, it's a, it's a watershed moment in anybody's life. Of course it but is. But to not be able to... To not be able to <clears throat> to be with family and to kind of share those those important moments, you know, must be extraordinarily painful for him. And you know, to some degree, he, he's looked he's looked frazzled and tired and fed up for quite a while. You know, and I'm sure that was that was the case even before this situation arose. And obviously, this won't have helped. But you know, it, it just makes it even sadder as well that you know that we can't all be in the ground. You know, the, the next the next game, whatever, to kind of show our support for him. But I'm sure you know the wider Liverpool fan base. How you know, have to, as I'm sure we've all seen across social media, and will continue to show their <clears throat> their love and support for this man who, who's given us so much. Not just not just a winning football team, you know, he's given us our, our pride, our that kind of sense of identity back. You know what I mean? It, it's he's not just a great football manager; he's a great man, and I think we're all been so lucky to have him for at Liverpool for as long as we have. And you know, we, we our hearts go out to him, of course, at this at this awful time. Yeah, absolutely. I echo that. Every listener um, of this podcast and every listener of the others, uh, Alain Rouge, of course, Blood Red, all all under Blood Red banner, all wishing uh, Jürgen Klopp 
all the very best and peace and respect and, and everything like that. And I wonder if I wonder if the lovely Pete Carney is already working on a banner. I would not um, be one bit surprised, Neil. I hope I hope Nailed he is. Uh, I, I hope he is, pal. And uh, he, he if if there's one person who'll know he's loved, it's it's Jurgen Klopp, particularly with these Liverpool fans. And all he's got to do now to take his mind off that is um, is steady the ship and get us back on course. No no mean feat. Um, we've come a long way since the uh, since since the nineteenth of uh, of December, guys. When we uh, when we when we walked off the pitch at um, at Crystal Palace's ground there, and uh, after absolutely annihilating them, and everyone thought, okay, yeah, we've got our issues, but maybe we can get through them. I mean. You know, it's one of the things where we've been on it since then saying there's no crisis, it's fine, it's fine. And we are going to avoid that word, definitely. But um, after, I, I, and, and I'm trying to find the positives from, from the from the City game because up to the 63rd minute when uh, when, when we equalised, there was a cigarette paper between them teams. Um, and and barring, barring uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an uncharacteristic nightmare from from a keeper who's, who's, who's pulled us out a few nightmares in, this pa- in the past, so... Uh, we can't hold anything against him. Um, we were holding our own, but um, <clears throat> was there an inevitability to you, Connor, or did you feel like we we still had something to be able to to pull something out of that game? Well, I could definitely say it didn't feel like a four-one, and it wasn't a four-one. That scoreline flattered City straight up. You know, Allison's mistakes happened, and they are the culpability for that defeat. Really, as you say, I thought the City looks. A- the better side. But when Liverpool got the penalty, got themselves back in it, I thought, yeah, it's anyone's game at this point. But so, so quickly after that, the game develops, Alisson makes two mistakes in a row and you're just, you're just miles away and you're never going to catch up at that point, really. I don't think... I think in the first half, it was just a bit of a tactical battle. I think Liverpool played it really, really well in the first half. I thought it looked good. They had a lot of the ball. They passed City well. And you don't often see teams bopping the ball around the pitch against City. They do that to others. So... That's definitely a positive to take. And yeah, the, the actual scoreline, as I say, flattered them really. But on the on the whole balance of play, City probably deserved it. But what it showed me, particularly, the Liverpool are not that far away from City. And if you're not that far away from City, you're pretty much ahead of everybody else. Yeah, Dan, I mean, I'm just looking at some of the stats from the game. It was... Um... It's pretty close all over the pitch. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, pass accuracy, 88% Liverpool with uh, 85% City. Um, actual passes, 649 by Liverpool to uh, 519, 100, over 130 more completed passes. We are known for that. We're a passing team. We're a team that likes to work around the pitch. Over the last uh, over the last uh, month or so, Dan, and and, and, and when, we, when we realised that we had a, a real centre-back issue going on, Obviously, the attention was very much on the fact that we needed to address the centre-back situation. But there were, there were obviously stirrings of the front three not quite clicking. And when you look at um, how the results have gone, and hopefully we're going to steady the ship, you start realising that that front three are, are struggling down at the moment. I mean, I, I can, and, and in particular, interestingly enough, Sadio Mane, I've never really seen a dip in form the way I have with Sadio Mane. Uh, against City in the uh, early on in the game, um, he blazes ahead over the bar that usually he is so reliable in the air. And um, there's a bit of a problem on the front three, Dan, isn't there, I think? Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say in Mane's defence, he'd, he'd missed the last couple of games, hadn't he? And I think he did look a little bit ring rusty. That was in, in a tight game like that. You know, good chances like that will come at a premium. And, you know, it was a great bit of play from Trent down the right. You know, his movement was good. He got in ahead of the defender. He just couldn't keep it down. 
Um, but, but going back to the, the front three as a whole, I, I've, you know, I've, I've mentioned my mind goes back to a bit of analysis Jamie Carragher did a few weeks ago. Um, after you know, I can't remember which defeat it was, but obviously we've had a few, or, you know, we've had a few lousy results over the last month or so. But it was it made the point that in many ways we shouldn't be it shouldn't be that surprised. He brought up a graphic basically of, I think pretty much from the Premier League era, the best front threes that we've seen. Um, you know, whether it's Chelsea, Manchester United, City, the leading teams, how they did, but also the kind of shelf life. And for the vast majority of them, it was really two to three years, maybe four tops. Now, th these three have basically been playing together since the start of 2017-18. So this this is really their fourth year. You know, you also look at the, um, the, uh, the real, the, 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 the bulk of this Liverpool team as well. Obviously, apart from the odd additions here and there, in the midfield, it's a lot of the same players. And, you know, I've always remember something Klopp said towards the end of his time at Dortmund. And I'm not necessarily, not necessarily saying this is the case, because I remember when he signed his new deal, what, barely over a year ago, it was quite clear that he'd obviously decided that he had the energy, the enthusiasm, the will to build a second team. But he said something at Dortmund, kind of like, after, after a while, the players stop hearing you. You know, the, the, the messages just don't sink in as much. So I, you know, I'm one of the great things of the early part of the season. Obviously, was that we had Jotter in the mix, and he was kind of freshening up that front three, giving it a slightly different dynamic, giving them each a rest. So that when they came back in, it had that kind of newness to it. And yeah, you know, we all talk obviously about you know, the Goodison Derby in October and what a you know what a, a seismic effect that had on Liverpool's season. But you know, and he could never have known, of course. But you know, the, the manager's decision to throw Jotter on towards the end of that game in Michelin in a dead rubber that really didn't matter. And he's missed, you know, what, two months now that have essentially left Liverpool's title bid in shatters. That's that's football. That's that, you know, yet none of us have a crystal ball. But, you know, there are, you know, these these are reasons and explanations rather than excuses, I would say. And, and the big challenge now is that somehow Klopp has to engineer a way to at least get them firing to some to a certain degree to salvage something from the season because they played some really good football at times this season. You know, the, the, the Salah's goal at West Ham and Firmino's goal at Palace was were two goals as good as any I've seen Liverpool score in 35 years. So you know we can't throw them you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater but obviously they need they, they need a spark they need a bit of a, an upward momentum from somewhere. Firmino well, is the big one yeah. for me because I think at Tottenham, if you looked at Firmino, I thought he played so well. And he mm. just linked that front three like you know he does. And it seems to me he's the one, even more than Mane, if Firmino's firing, he can get the other two going. Just with the yeah. way he plays, the way he drops back, when he can link up the play, when he can break up the opposition play as well and help sustain waves of attack for Mane and Salah and open up gaps and not let teams reset and play with his quick feet. Like, you don't even know what Bobby's going to do sometimes. And it's incredible. But when he doesn't play well, I think Liverpool as a whole struggle. And I think that's why perhaps this front three have been together so long. Because Firmino is so unique to this side, he doesn't really fit in a lot of other sides in world football. So they're kind of still going because they have a kind of unique ability to transform a little bit between themselves but when that doesn't happen when he doesn't fire it, it's a massive problem because they revert to type and teams are really used to that so it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic really yeah it is and one of one of they're going to have to fix pretty soon I, I mean i think the inexplicability of it all i think dan is it, 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 you've, you've hit on the head is that we can we can be fantastic they're so hit miss at the moment and <clears throat> one way 
we're hoping that they, that they uh, we'll talk about transfers and transfer power in, in, in a bit. One way we're hoping that they can try and um, stable the ship and get some sort of normality back and some sort of uh, uh, of balance back in the, in the side is to try and sort out uh, the defence. Now, during the, uh, the January window, we managed to bring in two players. Um, their abilities are yet to be tested, but surely uh, against Leicester, Ozan Kabak has to play, does he not, Connor? He's got to, hasn't he? He's absolutely got to. I think, to be honest, I would have thrown him in against City. I know that's massively thrown him in the deep end of the 20-year-old who's just come in, but you've got to think Jordan Henderson in that midfield would have made such a big difference. And when I go back to right at the start, when Liverpool bought Thiago, I don't think they're bringing in Thiago to make him play in midfield with the responsibilities he's had to take on without Fabinho and without Henderson. I think, as I made this point in another podcast, Liverpool probably should have had a defender lined up on January the 1st to get them in straight away. The damage is probably already, well, it has already been done now. But they've got to play. They've got to play against Leicester, minimum one. You've got to think it's Kabak. Davies has probably been brought in for more of a, a backup in case somebody else gets injured. Fabinho and Kabak, with his talent that he's been, they've been purported to have, the fact that Klopp likes him, he's been recommended by... Um, who was it? Uh, Klopp's Warner, friend. Dave, Dave yeah, that's it. Um, David Wagner. He's coming with a bit of pedigree. Um, he might have a bit of a rash tackle. We're not sure. We haven't really seen his talents. But you've got to think, he's got to pair Firmino. He's got to get Henderson back into that midfield because it's just so important to the way Liverpool play. The energy, the dynamism, the drive, the vision. The, you can just list Henderson's qualities all day. and it just He's another that gets Liverpool ticking. So I think it's so important getting Cab back into that defence as a minimum. Yeah, got to be done, Dan, hasn't it? I mean, I, 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 and uh, as uh, Connor says, you could argue that you could argue that it might have been uh, a game too soon for Kabak against City, but I would have at least thought he might have put him on second half. But then, having said that, <laughs> until those mistakes, it's in the balance, the game was finally poised. It was in the balance, so you could kind of argue for him not sending someone in who, who might have had a bit of a mare, and then you're trying to put your arm around him for three weeks, six weeks, whatever. Mm. So, but he has to play now just to try. I mean, it's ridiculous that we're saying alongside Fabinho, isn't it? Because the guy's season is over as, as a midfielder. He's, he's there, isn't he? Whether we like it or not, he trusts Fabinho there. He doesn't, he, as more so than certainly Henderson and pushing Fabinho up. He wants Henderson to try and drive that midfield, but Kabak has to be a safe then. Yeah, I mean, he was the, he was the bigger name to come in. I mean, it'd be, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if, if he does look to play Kabak and Davies as a partnership. You know, the point Connor was making earlier about Firmino, you know, and how, even after all this time, how fundamental he is to the Liverpool team. You know, I, I was thinking as he was talking before that, you know, possibly one of the reasons for his kind of um, reduced effectiveness at times this season is because the midfield's not right. You yeah. know, this, this, this Liverpool team that has been so phenomenal for, what, two, three years, but in many ways it's been kind of, kind of quite interdependent on each other. They're such a team that are so perfectly in harmony with all the working parts interchanging and is it well, it's not quite total football, you know, as an Ajax in the seventies. But you know, it, it's I, I think even even the most one eyed anti Liverpool person would have to admit that losing Van Dijk and Gomez wasn't just a case of losing the heart of your defence. It has had a knock on effect right throughout the team in the in the midfield and up front. You know, as I completely agree with with with, with Connor that you know, they, they should have taken action and been and been ready to hit the ground running with new defenders like they were in 2018 when they bought when they bought Van Dijk in. You know, it was one thing to take a gamble by not replacing Lovren in the summer, 
And, you know, it, it, was, it was understandable to a certain degree on the basis of the pandemic and the financial implications and everything else. But having got to, you know, late November, early December, having seen not just how the injuries have ripped, you know, some absolute key players out of the team and, and obviously the knock-on effects of that, but also the the weariness, the kind of, you know, the, not just the physical fatigue, the mental fatigue. And it's not just about, you know, winning games or constantly having to get yourself up for games. All, you know, every time that we, us as fans or journalists are, you know, a, another injury comes through and we're thinking, oh, for God's sake, not again. Well, the players are thinking exactly the same as well. And, you know, it's like death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? After a while, it just kind of wears you down, wears you down. And that's the impression I've had watching Liverpool over over the last month. They just look physically and mentally shattered. Yeah, and the, and, and it's that word, isn't it, fun? You know, it, yeah. it's it's something that we, we, we just took for granted watching Liverpool play was you could see that they mm. were having fun. And that was that was on the pitch, and it was at the side of the pitch when he was hugging them all and high five, and then, and it was fun, and that went right round the ground. You know, uh, the, the 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 fact of the matter is, it was late. We have acted too late. Uh, the 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 league the, the defense of the title is is over, barring you know, barring a miracle, um, and of course, let's be honest with you, half of that miracle um, still can't get in to watch a match. Because the miracle of Anfield for me stands in the you know sits in the stalls, sits in the seats. Um, but um, it, it's just that balance. I think you've hit it absolutely right. And I, I was screaming at it all the way through. We needed to get this sorted out. It brings us to the point that one of you just raised, um, mentioned his name, Connor. I'll start with you. You've got to feel for Thiago, haven't you? I mean, the media have got hold of this thing where he's suddenly not. He's not clicking. He's not right for us. And if you listen to these horrible media outlets who just keep saying Tiago, I listened to one of the commentaries before a, a game of the week started with this commentator saying Tiago, who's, who's really found it difficult to fit into this Liverpool side and his form has been part. This kid's, this kid's, uh, you know, we wax lyrical about how much of a genius he is at these through balls and, and to, he's, he's, he's making sliding tackles from 10 yards out because no one's given him any cover. It's ridiculous to think that he's being, he's being held accountable for this, Connor. Yeah, it's absolutely outrageous. This is a player who has won a league title in all but one of his professional seasons with Barcelona and Bayern Munich. And then he comes to Liverpool. I mean, you don't play in teams like that that consistently if you're not a good, in fact, world-class player. And if you think back to the derby when Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago started in midfield for the first and only time this season... I thought Thiago looked top class. Oh. He absolutely ran the game and even set up the final pass in the dying minute for that goal that wasn't counted, rah, rah, rah. But Thiago's passing ability is world-class and he could fit into any side in the world no matter how he plays. And you can say this until you're blue in the face and I don't really care who stands against it because to say that he doesn't fit or can't improve a team is ridiculous. The lack of support in midfield, you know, Klopp would never have envisioned him playing so deep, taking on so much defensive responsibility, trying to, you know, play with Curtis Jones, who's been great, but trying to coax him through it, dealing with other injuries, no ox, no cater, no, just, you know, trying to do a bit of everything, despite fighting his own injury battles himself this season, getting COVID himself this season. I think the, the criticism is crazy. Uh, you've got to agree, Dan, haven't you? It's a strange one, and we've got, you know... Like Connor says, that 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 three that three pronged sort of midfield, we've only seen once at that at the um, you know the now infamous game 
uh, in the derby and uh, uh, and with that actually cater still being injured and stuff he's taken on a role and a responsibility that he never signed up for no absolutely i mean you know that 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 derby match has got a lot to answer for hasn't it you know Connor made the point that he he made that brilliant reverse pass to Mane that led to henderson's uh disallowed late disallowed winner that actually came after you know the disgraceful tackle on him from richarlison which, which got him sent off and it does seem almost like he's, you know, he's, he's maybe he ran over a cat as he was going to the airport in, in Munich to come to Liverpool. I don't know. But, you know, first off, he gets COVID. Then literally after getting over that, his first proper game back in the team, he gets clobbered. And even obviously, though, we even though we were told at the time, oh, it's it's not too bad. He basically didn't play again for two months, did he? And then by the time he did come into the team, the impact of all the other injuries was starting to be, was really starting to be felt. So he's never had the opportunity to be, for the role for which he was intended and I think kind of like his um, you know the, the, the difficulties he's having was really was summed up in the first few minutes on of Sunday's game when he got himself booked for the kind of tackle that you know I think ordinarily he would never be having even thinking about having to make he, he would there was never a chance in hell that he was going to win that tackle tackling from, from with the foot he did from the side he did and there was a part of me at the time kind of thinking what the hell you know it's you've got yourself on a yellow car yellow now in the first five minutes but then I calmed down and kind of realised, well, yeah, there's reasons for that. You know, it's yeah. he's trying to make an impression. He's trying to do the kind of job that Fabinho and Henderson would be doing if they hadn't had to be hooked back into the defence to cover. So, but, but you know, that's kind of rightly pointed out. He's, he's a sublime footballer. He's a class act. He's only, what, 28, 29? Yeah. And, you know, hopefully, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm loath to call it, you know, a blessing in disguise or a silver lining or whatever. But the reality is now the league's gone. You know, and for the last well two and a half seasons, Liverpool have operated under under this insane pressure of knowing that you've got to win every single match, and a defeat and a draw is like a horrendous defeat. Now, obviously, they still need to win as many games as they can, and you know, potentially at the moment, they they're not in control of their own destiny in terms of the top four. But there's still what you know, 17, 18 games to go. So hopefully, if they can kind of get their heads around this these kind of new parameters, what their new objectives are. There's still a lot of football to play for. And, you know, the the 2013-14 season, the Rogers season when we nearly won the league, it, you know, in, in many ways it all came off an incredible run after Christmas. But to some degree, it was also set up by what happened the season before Rogers' first season, which the first half was very, you know, very difficult, um, kind of struggling around about mid-table at Christmas time. But they went on a really good run after in the second half of the season. And that kind of gave them the platform to kick on and, and start the, the, you know, hit the ground running at the start of the following campaign. And I think that's what Liverpool now have, have got to look to do. Go as far as we can in Europe, obviously get top four, and then hopefully, please God, once they've got, you know, a realistic number of players back. Because as you know, man for man, our best team against City's best team or anyone else's best team, I'd still fancy us. Yeah, but, you know, you, you take the number of players out that, that Liverpool have had this season and anyone would struggle. I don't care if it's Brazil 1970 or whoever. Yeah, he's absolutely right, Connor, isn't he? I mean, when you when you think of of, of the the balancing act, the house of cards, the, the what's gone on at Liverpool, in a sense that you know key players have dropped out, so key players have had to go into unfamiliar roles to try and balance and steady that ship. And and it, 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 we were screaming for defenders. You know, there are reports that Liverpool made a fifty-seven million pound bid for uh, Demiral at uh, Juventus, fifty million euro bid in January. Whether or not that's true or not, we don't know. But Juventus kept all of them. Either way, we've ended up with uh, Kabak uh, and Ben Davis. Ben Davis, who, who you know, is a Preston North End player who doesn't have any Premier League. I would be very surprised 
if those two are centre-backs together at any stage uh, during this campaign. You never know. It could be a situation where, um, uh, obviously, uh, Kabak starts because he's, he's, the, he's the more highly rated of the two defenders with maybe Davies on the bench and then, depending on how a game's going, maybe he'll drop Davies in alongside Kabak and move someone further forward. Uh, well, Fabino, I, I would imagine. But it's ju- wouldn't it be lovely to sit down to watch a Liverpool team that where everyone's playing in the right positions, Connor? Yeah, wouldn't it just? Wouldn't it just? You know, it's it's it's, it's got, it, like you. I think you're right. Probably, I don't think Kabak and Davies are going to be billed as the the centre back pairing to take us through. I do think Davies probably being brought in as a bit more of cover. But again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past Klopp trying to bed him in a little bit and just seeing how things go if Liverpool are comfortable in a couple of games. I just, obviously, this run coming up for Liverpool, what we've got Leicester, Leipzig and Everton next three, it's not really a time to start trying new centre-back partnerships out. And obviously, Fabinho's played there, so you just got to think he's just nailed down that position. You're not really going to see him in midfield, which is a shame, really, because as we were talking about Thiago then, I was thinking, yeah, Thiago's making tackles, but Fabinho is probably the best defensive midfielder in the world at breaking up play. So... It's just such a big miss. But yeah, you've got to think Liverpool's just got to reset and think about next season. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. We touched about it earlier on. Uh, we touched on it earlier on and, and I want to bring this back because you you mentioned earlier, uh, oh, we were talking about uh, Liverpool's transfer business since the Champions League. Connor, you're the best person to explain this because you actually, you actually wrote a piece for this um, and it's and it's based on uh, on Liverpool's and I don't want to start rhyming people up here now, but it's interesting to get a picture of 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 as Liverpool fans because we know that we built we know that Fenway FSG work to a particular parameter when it comes to their transfer model, don't they? And 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 in many ways, when the success that Liverpool have had in recent years sort of pointed to the idea that that was the way it should be done and that the cities and the Man United of the world are getting it wrong and the Barcelonas and the, and the Real Madrid are getting it wrong. And what you do is you find someone, you find someone with huge potential, you bring that potential out and then you get the best of them and then you sell them off, which is something that Liverpool have used as a model. The problem with that is I have always found that that, unfortunately, that isn't the way things work in the real world. And, and I think getting it right is what we've been very, very good at doing. But... Just explain to us uh, some of the some of the uh, the facts and figures that may understand may may sort of paint and clear clear up a picture of of how Liverpool need to maybe change their business model if they're going to compete. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the thing to mention, obviously, FSG sell players to buy players. That is the model they work under. They don't really go and spend frivolously and. The positive is when a massive situation happens like a a pandemic, they're going to come out the other side of that a lot better than many other clubs. You know, the big Spanish clubs are in dire financial straits and things like that. But this goes a bit back before then. So I took a look earlier this week about how much each big six club in the Premier League had spent since Liverpool won the Champions League in 2019 on transfers. And obviously there's a point Liverpool were a long way ahead of everybody, so people had to catch up. But if you listen to these figures, which you've got in front of me, you'll have a a bit more of an understanding. So Liverpool, since the 2019 summer window, spent 83.75 million. Man City spent 299 million. Manchester United spent 279 million. Chelsea spent 263 million. 
Tottenham spent 233 million and Arsenal spent 219 million. Now, all five of those clubs are over the 200 million pound mark. And when you're talking about spending 130, 140, 150 million pound more than another club, it's going to be very difficult to consistently keep up. And okay, Liverpool tied down some players before that on more lucrative contracts to make sure they stayed at Anfield, like your Van Dykes and your Salas, and, and that's fine. But that only goes a certain extent when you know when you have all these players playing together for so long, like Klopp said about them not listening to you, or players being able to work, teams being able to work out these players. So then I had a look at the net spend. So this is when players get sold, and not including the Harvey Elliott fee, which got decided in a tribunal yesterday. Liverpool are positive 1.39 million since the Champions League final win. City net spend during that time, 181 million. United's 189 million. Tottenham's 163 million. Arsenal, 150 million. Chelsea, 70 million. You've got to think Chelsea there as well also had a transfer ban for one of those windows. So it just really puts into perspective the different model Liverpool have compared to all of their rivals, essentially. But in the Premier League, invariably, with the riches that are on offer, if you don't spend the money, you are going to struggle to keep up. And that is just a fact of the Premier League. It's a sad reality of the Premier League, but it is a reality of the Premier League just because it is so lucrative and you need to spend to keep up. You do. As if you spend that little, and this isn't to massively come out and criticise everyone because we've done it. Klopp has done an incredible job on building a team, selling players and getting players in. But... Spending like that, you're eventually going to get left behind. It's, it's hard to see how rivals don't catch up spending that money when you don't. It's difficult to see how they don't, really. And, Dan, that is brilliant figures, uh, Connor. I really, really appreciate that, mate. It gives us a very interesting uh, – <clears throat> it gives us a lot to discuss. And, Dan, ironically, you would argue that Liverpool's two most influential signings are – Alisson and Van Dijk, who both smashed our transfer record by by a good way, and uh, so mm. you you wonder where the argument stands up both sides, don't you? I mean, I mean, Connor's figures they were brilliant and really paints a picture of just over a million pounds net spend. Yeah, I is mean, that good enough, mate? You know, well, I mean, you point out Alisson and Van Dijk were you know, huge fees, what, 60 and 75 respectively. That essentially, I think I'm right in saying, Connor was effectively paid for with the sale of Philip Coutinho, wasn't it? Coutinho's money, yeah. yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah and, and obviously Liverpool have spent, you know, 30-odd million on the likes of Salah. You know, I think Salah, Firmino and Mane, the front three were all 30-odd. Um, Firmino was, what, 40-odd. <clears throat> but, but you know, the, the owners have been fairly consistent since they came in, what, 10, 11 years ago? That they, you know, that they wanted to make the club financially sustainable. It was not just going to be um, uh, an empty pit of money, a la Man City or Chelsea or whoever. And you know, it's hard to argue too hard against them because <clears throat> they came, you know, they came, they went into Boston and ended, <clears throat> excuse me, what, an eighty-five year drought for a, the World Series baseball title, and they came to Anfield and ended the thirty-year tight, thirty-year uh, um, wait for a league title, and, and plonked into the European Cup on the table. Um, I think I think what it does illustrate is how Jurgen Klopp, how lucky Liverpool have been to have Jurgen Klopp. To, Liverpool were always having to really swim against the tide and, and kind of go the extra mile to compete, and and it's miraculous in some ways that they have done for so long. It was it was quite clear. I've, I've written a few pieces on that on FSG in, in the last couple of months that, where, particularly when they took over, their their whole ownership. One of the things that attracted them to English football was the fact that FFP was about to be brought in 
at the start of you know the, the, the start of the previous decade. And that was kind of like the game changer. That potentially would give them the kind of relatively level playing field <clears throat> that exists in some of the American sports with you know, salary caps and that and that type of thing. Now, obviously, for even before the pandemic, and we won't say too much about Man City, but um, you know, it, it is becoming clear that financial fair play was not necessarily going to be administered as strictly as Fenway might have hoped it would have been, shall we say. So they've, you know, and, and for a couple of years, to be honest, as, as that's become clear, and it's hard to really see how that's going to change anytime soon. I often wondered, bearing in mind how much they've massively increased the value of the club, they've built the new stand, they've got the team winning and competitive again. Would this would this be potentially, um, would, this lead, would this lead them to start looking for an exit strategy? Now realizing that that, that, that basically the the, the the what what's the expression your 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 blood's too rich for my money or something you know, they, they, it, they're not going to be able to compete with the oligarchs with Sheikh Mansour with with Abramovich and whoever. In, in many ways, I hope they do. <coughs> I hope they do find a way to stick it out because I like the fact that we've done things a little bit differently. That it hasn't just been a case of spending willy nilly. Obviously, we've spent big money, huge money, but it's been spent through money generated by a football club, it's been done relatively organically rather than just being like lottery winners. But, you know, obviously the pandemic has changed football. It's changed the world beyond all recognition. And it will be really, really interesting to see, you know, how things develop now because Liverpool as a club, as I said, are, are, are in a much better place than where they were. But what's the next step now? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Dan and Connor. Just to follow that up, when you look at, potential signings and you look at refreshing squads and stuff, Liverpool have been inextricably linked with Kylian Mbappe for, I don't know, since he was five, I think. Um, <laughs> and now, you know, Rafina and Haaland and you you look and you think, well, they're real benchmarks. I mean, particularly, let's look at Haaland, who, who is a baby still, uh, who is one of those players that ticks every single box, uh, an absolute monster of a goal scorer. He's about, what is he, 20? 20, um, yeah. So, so when you buy a player like Haaland, you're buying someone you can get five years off out of and then sell on. He ticks every single Fenway sports group box in that respect. I don't know what he's also seems to me to be the kind of kid who has used a lot of common sense when it comes to his own career because he could have took the big move already, but he didn't. He chose to go to Dortmund where he wanted to learn. He seems to be a very level head in the head of the young lads with, with really good people behind him advising him he would seem like an ideal fit for liverpool football club connor but again and the member and the Mbappé thing the same these will all come down to facts and figures won't they? they'll all come down to dollar signs won't they and uh, it's whether or not liverpool have the have the first for the battle yeah so i think harland is a really interesting one so i was having a look at quite a few big players and their sort of stats yesterday for the echo and uh Haaland scored 14 and provided four assists in 15 Bundesliga games this season because he's had a bit of injury, which is outrageous for 20 years old. And he, I think he's got, he scored six in three Champions League games this season as well before he got his injury. So pedigree on the European stage as well. I think he, well, he's going to cost upwards of £100 million, no question, and that's just the transfer fee. You've got to think he's a central striker and he's a goal-scoring striker. He would probably sort of change the way Liverpool play. It might be the next stage of the evolution, just being a different sort of player to what we've got in the front three at the moment. But to get him, you've, we're going to be selling one of Mane or Salah to generate the money because of the way FSG operate. You have to. 
And then the sticking point probably with Haaland is his agent is Mina Rayola, who not many clubs really want to touch with a barge pole because he commands so much agent fees and he's not really a great one to deal with. But he is a super agent, so to speak, and has a lot of young players on his books and Haaland is one of them. So there's a, there's a positives and the negatives for Haaland. Mbappe is this, it's basically this summer or never if they want him because he's on his last, he'll be on his last year of his contract this summer. And if PSG time down to another five years, he'll, he'll double in price comfortably. Um, so if he hasn't signed by then, you've got to be thinking, is he looking for another challenge, looking for another club after winning almost everything with PSG, obviously apart from the Champions League. But he is going to cost comfortably upwards of 150 for just the transfer fee. And his wages will probably totally break the wage structure at Liverpool. You'd probably be thinking they'd be selling Salah or Mane plus Cater to, to get Mbappe in. So there's so many challenges. But it just depends, you know, what they want to do. There's so many variables, but it could comfortably start a transfer merry-go-round if, if, it, if it starts happening this summer. Well, I think I speak to every, uh, for every Liverpool fan when I say I look forward to seeing those players in a City shirt very, very shortly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well. again, Dan, what you're saying, there is something... There is something right and proper about not spending them fees on these players, isn't there? There's something right and there's something proper yeah. about saying, let's try and do this in a way that isn't just playing Monopoly. Well, yeah, I mean, per you, know, don't get me wrong, watching Salah, Firmino and Mane has been an absolute delight, you know, one of the greatest experiences of my Liverpool watching career. But nothing lasts forever, as I said before, they've had four or five years together. And I think maybe is you know maybe this maybe this should be their last season as a three. I you know I'm glad I'm not the one that a has to make the decision of who as who goes. Okay, I'm not getting into, I'm not getting into <laughs> that kind of ways. But you know I, I wouldn't necessarily have an objection if, if Liverpool do as Connor says sell one one of them and a cater or someone else to raise the funds to do it. To me that is that's kind of that's responsible spending. The the, the kind of spending that I, I'm. Because obviously, for all those years when we were crap and we were and and we never looked like competing, and sometimes people would say, "Well, let's just get taken over by the Arabs and and just buy fifty brilliant play fifty brilliant players in the squad." And people used to say, "Well, would you really want to win it that way?" And it was hard to give an answer to because when you when you've been waiting all your adult life like I had been to see Liverpool win the league, there was a part of you that kind of thinks, "Yeah, I don't get you. I just want to win it." <laughs> But, but then, but, but no, but then you, yeah. but then you do look at the broader picture and think no, and, and particularly obviously the way that we have done it, I'm delighted that we've done it the way we have. You know, not, I mean, I know we've got an injury crisis, but you looked at City's bench on Sunday, and it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's virtually made yeah. up entirely of forty, fifty million pound players. Now that that's where, and you know, it's not City's fault that they're going to play the system with the with the advantages they've got to the best they can for their club. This is where the this is where the authorities and the administrators of the game, and I've said this for a long time, need to take, and I don't really know much about American sports at all, but they do try to compete some, try to maintain some kind of competitive advantage. We've seen for year, you know, for 20, 30 years, the advent of the Premier League era and the Champions League era, the rich are getting, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting getting poorer. And I don't I don't think it's necessarily good or healthy for the game. And who knows, maybe this kind of, you know, world-stopping pandemic might change something. I'm not holding my breath, mate. You never know. 
You never know. I, I love the way you, you're talking about selling uh, Salah and, and whoever you're talking about, you're adding cater into the mix. I'd love to know who wants to buy cater. Co- Possibly co- the NHS, co- maybe. First, not me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what would you do? Sell it to science? Would it be to sell medical science? <laughs> I, can imagine them, I can imagine them slamming this massive document down on a desk and somebody saying, that's not his contract, is it? And they say, no, that's his injury list. Um, <laughs> for January. <laughs> for January alone, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a tricky one. The purest... And I say purest, yes, you're right, Dan. We have spent an absolute fortune. But um, when you look at Diaz and the players that City have brought in to, to connect, and we all know that they, the irony of it is the mistakes we've made in the centre-back position that have caught up with us are the mistakes that City made in the centre-back position that caught up with them. Because, you know, in not, in not, um, in not uh, strengthening their, their position when they had the chance, uh, we took over. You know, and it's ironic that we've done virtually the same thing ourselves. But um, it is ridiculous, and I th- I, I do think that it is it is um, you know the Rafinas of the world and the people like that maybe are people at Liverpool. I do often smile when I see these Mbappe links because I think I just don't I just don't believe in a million years that that. Well, the only, the only game changer just to cut in the only thing that might change it is Nike, isn't it? Is, Le- is LeBron is LeBron going to well, find some money down no. his couch? Football oh, is such yeah, a big right. business now, and it, and it's it's maybe kind of clutching at straws or a pipe dream. But the, the the one thing that makes me not completely discard it altogether is the kind of Nike issue. But be the best kit in its history that if we got Mbappe, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would not half. I mean, it would certainly get. I, I mean, I mean again, that is the business side of things, isn't it? Because mm. because spending that money does open the doors, doesn't it? That's the thing. That's the. You know, it opens the doors to sponsorship and other 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 avenues and other streaming avenues for money as well. So you can understand it, but like you say, but you're absolutely right, Dan. When and and the and the frustration of was again 65 minutes up in that match the other night, we're in the game. We're in the game. When you're looking at the the, the price they paid for Diaz, was he 70 odd million? Was he 60 odd million? Yeah, I mean you 66 know, million. Yeah. You know, you can just rattle through the team and. Uh, so we were there, and it's that inexplicable kind of thing, isn't it? The pass that's not quite getting to us. It's that last third thing, isn't it? Where I noticed a lot as well, and I think it's a confidence thing, guys. And you can both comment on this before we just check the fixtures and then we're out of here. But um, I've noticed Liverpool recently have been doing that thing which they haven't they haven't done for a long time, where they're going right through the pitch up to that last third, and then it's going back to the keeper. And, and, and that's a confidence thing, is it not, Connor? Definitely. I absolutely think the biggest thing to, for Klopp to work on after City this week was confidence, getting confidence back in that team. Because it was when Edison made that mistake and it went to Mane and the ball ended up back being circled around the centre-backs. And I was just like, oh. normally you'd see them running, attacking, two on four and just trying to go for it. But it is definitely a little bit of lack of confidence. But again, it stems back from you haven't got Henderson and Fabinho in midfield to break it up. And if they get past them, you haven't got Van Dijk and Gomez. And it's, it's just really tricky. But yeah, confidence, massive, massive thing. Just a little bit of perspective for them all as well. Just thinking how good they've been. They're still the same players with the same manager. They've won titles and, you know, they will get better. The dip is probably a bit inevitable given how they competed on the edge of everything for four years nearly. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree. Confidence is, is definitely the biggest thing Klopp needs to do. But I think also in terms of chance creation at the top of the pitch specifically, specifically I wonder if a different formation might work. So we've seen the 4-4-2 diamond once this year with Shakiri on the tip of it. And that, I thought that looked really good. 
Pep went to a 4-4-2, didn't he, after the break? And City obviously looked like well, they improved, really. And I just wonder if they can just slightly throw in a difference to a 4-4-3 because it's teams expect it, I think, and you can prepare for that 4-4-3 really, really well because you have all the analysis that you could ever possibly want about that 4-4-3 at Liverpool. So I just wonder if they could just do a slightly different bit. And I know it's not what Klopp wants and it might not be the answer, but you've got to think they're thinking about it as well. Yeah, Dan, it's a great point. I mean, a lot of fans I've been speaking to have said, look, they're onto us. Teams are just onto us. They're onto the way we do it. And a lot of the times with, 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 uh, certainly with Salah, who, who goes from genius to, uh, to buffoon, doesn't he, in a heartbeat? I mean, two beautiful examples of that. He brings down that incredible ball, doesn't he? Was it a Henderson pass where he, that, that he, sorry, no, the, the, the West Ham goal that went from a Shikiri. corner. Shakiri, 15 seconds, bang, back of like the net. Like Mack against Spurs, wasn't it? That's and it was absolutely ridiculous. And then, um, I think it was, was it, was it, I'm not sure what the, what, was it against Brighton when Brighton. Henderson, Henderson lost his beautiful ball. He brings it down beautifully again. And I think it landed in our back garden. His, yeah. his, his attempt on goal. And you think he's so, he's at such a crossroads uh, mentally at the moment, I think, Salah, with what he's doing. And people forget, Dan, don't they, that these are human beings and, and they suffer with confidence uh, like everyone else does. And, and maybe, a, and do you think what Connor's saying there about possibly trying to mix the way they're playing? Um, are people just not onto us? Do we not need this this elusive plan B when it comes to attack? Yeah, I mean, it's the, what's the, old, the old saying, isn't it? The definition of madness is continuing to do the same thing and expecting a different result. Um, and I think, you know, that maybe has been a certain element to that. Although, you know, one thing I would say in Klopp's defence is that obviously he's not had anything like the options he would have hoped for. And some of the backup options, you know, I mean, Divock Origi will be forever, have a special place in all our hearts for the times he gives us. But he's not really kicked on in the last couple of years and been the kind of top quality backup that, that we hoped and, and needed and expected. Um you know, Connor mentioned you know, the one thing Klopp has got to work on is trying to rebuild confidence. And yeah, that's that's a really hard thing to do in training. The only thing is that, that, that can truly rebuild confidence is to win a load of a bit important football matches back to back. So this this is where the you know, the players themselves, you know, they all have to just dig in and dog it out. You know, in, in much the same way that you know the few people have mentioned Klopp's first full season, 2016-17, which you know, had a great first half of the campaign. I'm you know going to Sunderland on January the second really kind of thinking we could have an outside chance of the title here. Chelsea were on the kind of amazing winning run that in the end saw them over the line. And if you remember, Mane went to the African Nations and the wheels properly fell off in January, February, and they just about got themselves over the line and finished fourth on the final day by beating Middlesbrough. <clears throat> so, so that's the kind of, you know, they've got to kind of you know, readjust their sights in terms of that. And I just, you know, in some ways give themselves a break, realise what they've done, realise how good they are. <clears throat> I think this was even without... The ridiculous injury list, the pandemic and football behind closed doors, which is obviously you know, the whole clock's whole thing, hasn't it? Has been has been based on this symbiosis between the Holy Trinity, the manager, the team, and the players, and he has cultivated it from day one. And the club have channeled the team have channeled it and used it, and it's been a fundamental aspect of what has happened over the last two or three years at Anfield. Take that away, and take half the team away, and then just take the natural wear and tear of, of of operating at full pelt for three years now and you've got to win every single game. I think there would have been a drop-off this year anyway, even without those external factors. So they've got to almost kind of, everyone talks a lot and rightly so about, you know, self-care, you know, look after yourself, don't be too hard, you know, push yourself, but don't be too hard on yourself. And I think Liverpool have to 
accept that, all right, this, this season has not gone the way we wanted it to, but there are reasons why. And there's still plenty to play for. If nothing else, just to give us all a smile. It makes us all happier when Liverpool win. And they know that, they can see that. And hopefully they can get, they can get started with that Leicester on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Well put. I mean, our biggest injury list is, is every single home game when there's about 50-odd yeah. thousand missing. Well, that, that, that's, our big, that's our biggest. And that's what they feel the most as well. Yeah. We're going to hope for better things, obviously, our next couple of games. I mean, you never know. The Leipzig game might just be that catalyst. It's Europe. Mm-hmm. It's a different pace. It's a different feel. It could just it's be sparked something. Us before. It's sparked yeah. us before. Well, it has to because our next home game after that is against Everton. We've created some incredible records over the last few seasons. We've mm-hmm. lost a couple. In, in recent years, let's hope that it comes full circle. Um, we played Leicester, obviously, away first, then Leipzig, and then it, it is the derby at Anfield, Saturday the 20th of Feb, to half five kickoff. Uh, let's just hope that with the Jotters of the world, hopefully backfired and, and, and back in the team, and, and possibly possibly a, a bit of stability at the back, or the stability we need with Kabak at the back, trying to uh, push Henderson forward, and we're more of a Liverpool team than we all, than we all remember uh, and we all want us to be, of course, as well. Um, fingers crossed, guys. Connor, John, Dan K, thanks as ever. Brilliant work for both of you. Really appreciate really it. Thanks very much. And a, certainly, and a message to Jürgen Klopp from all of us. Your mum, Elizabeth, is being hoisted on the shoulders of Liverpool fans as we speak. Oh. You'll never walk alone. All the best to everyone. And uh, we'll see you all again soon on Poetry in Motion. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.